Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. And hello, everybody in Chicago. We are, we are live. What is, what is the name of this venue, Do you, Bob? Yeah, we're at Capri Banquets here at Operating Engineers Local 150. Great. Thank you. That was Bob Ryder. He is the Secretary Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Teferi Gabre is with me. He is the Executive Director of the AFL-CIO. Did I say your name right? You said, my name, you said my name right, but I'm the executive vice president. Executive vice president. Okay. And, uh, and Will Attig, who is the director of union affairs at... The AFL-CIO. The, the AFL union Veterans Council. Okay. So we're all AFL-CIO up here right now this morning. That's a good thing. And, yeah, it's definitely a good thing. So, so uh, let's, let's start with, with uh, you know, the state of labor. I'd, I'd like to ask each one of you what, what, you know, we're here in Chicago and obviously many of the stories that we're going to talk about are going to be Illinois labor stories. But I think that we can generalize probably most of them, if not all of them, to the whole country. It's not like, uh, you know, the, the, the Trump Labor Department is just picking on Chicago or Illinois or whatever. I mean, you've got, you've got the problem of Bruce, Bruce Rauner here, but uh, Anyhow, so so I'm just go through. Bob, you want to start? Bob Ryder, the Secretary Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Yeah. So the state of labor here in Chicago, we're, you know, we have as many challenges as the brothers and sisters have across the country. It's a little bit different though because we have a strong base, but the fight for the hearts and minds of our members and the rest of the public is real. I will tell you that here in Illinois. We have strong support from the general public for labor unions, but every day there's somebody like our governor, Bruce Rauner, who is obsessed, completely obsessed with unions, trying to chip away at that. And what I think we've seen in the course of the last four years is we've fared very well in terms of pushing back against Bruce Rauner and letting the people of Illinois know and our members know that if you want to if you want to have somebody who really reflects the working of Illinois. It's not a guy who all of a sudden shows up at a store, buys a Carhartt jacket and gets a brand new motorcycle. It's the people who live it every day, the people who put their boots on and go to work, the men and women of labor. Union or not, Chicago is a union labor town. 
Well said. Um, uh, by the way, be, be, uh, Teferi, before I get to you, I, I just wanted to mention the sponsors for this program, the, 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 the program that we have here. Uh, the Painters District Council number 14, IBEW, Local 134, Operating Engineers, Local 399, the Operating Engineers, Local 150, uh, the UAW Region 4, and uh, Goldberg, Weissman, Cairo. So let's have a round of applause for our sponsors. Thank you all. Thanks to the organizations. So, Teferi, your, your thoughts as the Executive Vice President of the AFL-CIO, your thoughts on the state of labor nationwide and here in Illinois? Uh, it's a mixed bag. Um, the attacks on working people have never been uh, more. Um, uh, you know, there, there's a collusion going on between corporate America and their political friends um, uh, to rig the rules, to rig the, uh, the, political, the economic system in this country, to deliver only for the rich at the expense of everybody that's, uh, that's working. And uh, we understand that the only panacea for that is to organize. And we're focusing on organizing and organizing and organizing. That's what, uh, that's what we need to do. Um, uh, you know, it's great that we're seeing state uh, after state, um, uh, you know, minimum wage uh, going up, even though the federal government still refuses to budge on uh, uh, our Congress to, the, to budge on raising the minimum wage. We're seeing that. But it's me, uh, Tom, uh, in my opinion, the only panacea to close the income gap in this country is to just do this little thing called allowing workers to collectively bargain and to sit across the table from their, with, with their employers and demand what's rightfully theirs. Yes, great, we want minimum wage increases. Yes, we want uh, paid f uh, family leave. We support hardly, very hard, we support those things. But at the end of the day, what's hurting Americans, what's hurting workers in this country is uh, a rigged system that does not allow them to actually uh, determine their own standard of living at their workplace by bonding together and demanding collective bargaining rights. And, and yes, and <laughs> that's a huge problem nationwide. Uh, Will, uh, the director of uh, Union Veterans Council, Council, right? Yeah. yeah. So with the AFL-CIO, you're doing veteran outreach. You were telling me before we went on the air about some of the ways the veterans have been really badly screwed, harmed, whatever, uh, recently by this administration, by the Trump administration. Um, but broadly, what? And I'd love to hear those stories, um, and I'm sure our listeners would too. But also, what what's your take on the current state of labor from a veteran's point of view? Well, luckily, I get to talk about a really important space, and that's the uh, employment of our veterans when they come home and, and, and how do we take care of our uh, servicemen and women when they return back to civilian life. Um, the, the state of affairs in labor and veterans is, is very, very good right now. Um, organized labor, uh, whenever this war started, you know, back in 2001, decided to step up, and they took it upon themselves. They said that we're not going to let our veterans come home to, to a bad deal. Um, they started initiatives to make sure we had veterans employment. I'm sitting here today because when I came home and I suffered for a, through a year of uh, really hardship, bouncing from uh, $10 minimum wage jobs to, you know, lawn care to uh, finding a helmets of hard hats program that taught me how to be a union welder and became a UA pipe fitter in Southern Illinois. And, and that was the proudest, one of the proudest days of my life. And that's a story of thousands of veterans um, that have gone through these programs that 
unions and labor have used to outreach to our veterans as they came home. Um, we had a very serious employment problem earlier on. Um, we've been able to fix that. Now we have a serious underemployment problem. So the fight for, for working class veterans um, is a real fight, and it's a struggle every day. You see uh, corporations uh, offshoring jobs every day. Well, usually around 10 or 11 percent of them are veterans. Um, we have 16 percent of our working class veterans make less than $15 an hour. These are serious issues that we're trying to deal with. So there's a larger issue here that I think all of this conversation is meta to, and that is work. Just the idea of work, the, 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 the essential dignity of work. This, this meme started creeping out in the 1980s with the Reagan administration that there are some jobs that Americans just shouldn't have to do, right? There are some jobs that are like, you know, low class or they're, they're, you know, they're just bad jobs. And that has not been my experience in my life. I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. My dad worked in a tool and die shop for 40 years. I, I knew him. I knew all the guys he worked with. I, I used to walk home from elementary school and have lunch with them. Um, it, 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 and, and, you know, whether it, was, whether it was the guy that they hired to do the janitor work or whether it was the guys running the Blanchards and the, and the, and the you know, drill presses, whatever it was, you know, it's like work has value, whether it's being a maid in a hotel or whether it's being a CEO. And we've... We've disconnected from that somehow. We have just a minute before we have to hit a break. Uh, Bob, you've been nodding as yeah. I've been saying this. Well, you want to speak to that? Well, this is part of the disconnect we have in our country that allows somebody like Donald Trump and Bruce Rauner to swoop in and say that they're for those type of workers, this populist message about the, the working class. But at the end of the day, Donald Trump and Bruce Rauner don't care about those workers. They've spent a lifetime building fortunes about uh, cutting those workers down and not treating them with dignity, whether they're a veteran returning home or they're an immigrant who's come to this country looking for a better way of life. You know, the, the labor movement has been all about that. And the, the, the Democrats and the Republicans have sort of ne neglected the economic piece. We know that we know that the Republicans are never going to be for the working class in the way they may have been for the working class in the 1950s. But the Democratic Party, they're missing that part of the, the three-legged stool of what their principles should be, too. Amen. And I, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, too, when we come from this break. We're hitting a break right now. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Cargo. With, 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 uh, this is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And we are, we are live in Chicago. And there's a bunch of topics here. Uh, Tefera, you, you mentioned the tax bill. Yes. This, you know, for a lot of people, you know, tax bill, organized labor, what's the relationship? Go for it. You've got a riff here. Well, like I mentioned early, it, it, it is, uh, uh, what we're talking about is uh, at what scale is the system being rigged against working people? And Maybe we should call this the Republican tax scam yep. rather than a bill. Yep. So uh, l last week, uh, 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 the reactionary Republicans announced the so-called tax reform uh, plan. Uh, and uh, Tom, I predict it would be a grand con job. Um, uh, but much more than that, it would be grand larceny and, uh, and president, uh, at time president scale. Uh, uh, union members in this country uh, have moved up by working hard into the middle class. 
and that has allowed them to actually purchase homes. And listen to me, this bill would not allow you to write off the interest from your mortgage. This bill doesn't allow you to write off your union dues. But on the other hand, this bill would allow union busting companies, the activity of union busting to be written off as a business expense. This is a one-sided larceny that, 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 that they're, they're putting in front of us. And so I'm asking everybody, everybody who's listening to us, if you know any so-called moderate Republican who have asked for your support before, this is the time we need them to stand up and say no. We need more fairness in this country, not just one-sided larceny and stealing from working people and giving it to the billionaires. And this is what the tax bill is going to do. This is our first job. We stop them when they try to kill us on health care. When we work together, we know we succeed. And we can defeat this tax bill if everybody picks up the phone and call their congressman and tell them enough is enough. Yeah, not to mention. Not, not to mention that if you get sick, you won't be able to deduct your, your medical expenses. If Absolutely. you have student loans, you can't deduct your student loans. I mean, it's, it, it, it's almost like they sat down and said, what's a long list of things that middle class people use that are, quote, loopholes, that are benefits of the tax code? And how, how can we screw those people? How can we take that money and hand it $1.7 trillion to the CBO? Uh, how can we take that money and hand it to our billionaire buddies? It's, it's really amazing. Did either of you wanted to comment on that or want to move on to fully funding the VA that Will wanted to talk well, about? Did you want to yeah, toss just, in here, Bob? Yeah, just, I mean. This it, is Bob, it, the uh, Secretary Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Along with it, and it actually ties into a little bit what Tafari said, and I know things that Will want to talk about. But, you know, here in Illinois, you talk about Donald Trump's tax plan and the Republican tax plan. We had a budget crisis here in Illinois that was driven by our governor's inability to uh, get everything he wanted in slashing you know, social service providers taking away benefits from uh, uh, union uh, unions and being able to get things that had nothing to do with the budget. And one of the victims of that was actually things like a veteran's home on the northwest side of the city, yeah. right? There's always casualties when the, when the right gets into these class warfare um, type tactics with us. And, and they mask it. They max it in the, t in the tax code. We have to protect the job creators. You know, we hear the job, job creator language here at the state as much as we hear it at the national level. The job creators are the people who go and buy stuff in the stores, right? The person who earns a good, good living and can go buy a pickup truck from the neighborhood Ford dealer, right? It's the people that shop in the grocery stores. It's the lifeblood of the community. It's not the, it's not the folks who take advantage of the capital that are, that are looking for the tax breaks. It's the people that you know, help support their community by spending money in their community. And the people who have the capacity to pay should pay. Amen. So, Will, uh, the the Veterans Administration, uh, what what is the you know Donald Trump has been running around you know using veterans as props over and over and over again every opportunity he can. Um, is is he working to the benefit of of veterans? Uh, I, I no, and I, and, I, and, Thank I, you. and I'll say that straight up. I, it, last week was a great example. Um, we had a, a bill go across Congress in the Senate um, regarding forced arbitration with financial institutions that uh, took advantage of people. Uh, military service members are historically targets of financial institutions. The entire veterans community came out and told first the Senate, they said this is 
a bad bill for our servicemen. It's going to hurt morale. It's going to hurt the readiness of our troops. Um, it's going to hurt veterans. And the Senate voted 50 to 50, and Mike Pence came in and broke the tie. And they didn't vote for the veterans community. They voted for big banks and lobbyists that spent over $38 million to get this one bill passed. And then it came, it came to Donald Trump's desk. And we all went. We, I, I had a, a press interview with the American Legion, which is not the most uh, liberal of groups. And we both uh, jointly called on President Trump to veto the bill. It's a bad bill. The entire veterans community, community is against it, 28 veteran service organizations, a military coalition. And he had an opportunity to stand up, stand up for veterans, but instead he sided with Not a banks. single veterans group supported it. Not a single That's one. That's amazing. Will Attic, the uh, director of the uh, Union Veterans Council for the AFL-CIO. We'll be back. Everyone's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that beets are one of the most important superfoods you can put in your body? They're loaded with important, an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to be, eat, eat a pile of beets every day? Not most people. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from crystals grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthy circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Super Beets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Super Beets is working for you. And free shipping. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889. The website, tomsbeats.com. Welcome back from Chicago. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, broadcasting live from the Operating Engineers 150 Capri Banquets building. And we're having a fine time here. We've got uh, a, a new panel uh, uh, Bob Ryder is staying with me, the Secretary Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ed Maher is the political director of Operating Engineers Local 150. And uh, we're going to be speaking, hearing from him. And, and Ryan Kelly is with uh, Machinist Local 126 in District 8. And Ryan, thank you for being here. Thank you, sir. Great having all you guys. Let's talk about the state of, of uh, the so-called right to work, or what I prefer to call it, right to work for less. Um, you know, the, the, the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Act, established uh, Americans as having an actual right to unionize. This was not in law prior to that, and, and which had led to numerous bloody conflicts from the mid-19th century through the early 20th century. And FDR said, okay, you know, let's, you got to have some form of power balance, some form of balance to the, to the power of, of the corporate entity, and that should be labor. That should be the people who work in the corporation. And so that together they can work for the, for the good both of the, of the company, of the customers, of the community, uh, of the stockholders, of the institution, and of the workers. And, and I put them last, but you know, arguably they should be you know, right up near the top. So uh, right to work for less. Bob, if you could start out with, with some, some of the, you know, what's the state of the art here? What, you know, what, or what is, what, what is going on with right to work for less around the United States? Well, you know, it, it's a campaign by the people with to take from the people without. And it's actually, you know, if folks don't know what right to work or right to work for less really is, it's a, it's a grab um, away from 
um, from people who represent workers every day. You see, right to work is very anti-Republican, but it's pushed by the Republicans. Unions have an obligation under the National Labor Relations Act to represent anybody who's in the workplace in a bargaining unit. And what right to work says in states that have passed this law is that people who are in that bargaining unit who receive that representation under federal law don't have to pay, not union dues, a fair share amount, a, a, an agency fee, something that covers the cost of that representation. So, you know, I'm, my background is I'm a lawyer, right? You know, at least part of my background, I'm an organizer, I'm an officer of a labor federation, but I have training as an attorney. And what you find is that this violates rules of equity under the law. If I provide a service, and this is what drives me nuts with these Republicans. If I provide a service, aren't I supposed to be compensated for that service? Yeah, I doubt any of these Republican congressmen uh, would go to a lawyer and you know, hire their services and then refuse to pay them. Well, the, the best example I have, it's actually one of my staff members uh, came up with it. It's like belonging to a condo association, then refusing to pay the condo fee because, you know, I, I believe in this right to work philosophy. So all the other people in the condo association, they have to pay for the maintenance of the building, the snow removal, the cutting the grass. I'm not going to do it because... I have a right to live here. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, this is a right to work state. Right? I have a right to live here. Yeah. Yep. That's bizarre. And uh, in fact, apropos of that, it, it seems the story that we're hearing about Rand Paul getting attacked by his neighbor was, was because he, they live in a gated community, a very, very high-end gated community in Bowling Green. And it's, it's a homeowners association. There's all these rules. And when Rand moved in there, he wanted to build a very different house, and the HOA would not let him do it. And he's been angry about it ever since. He want, you know, he's wanted to do this and that and the other thing with his house that, that the homeowners association hasn't let him do. And uh, he and his neighbor have had apparently some conflicts about this. And he, so he's blowing lawn clippings into his neighbor's yard. Well, what do you expect putting a libertarian into a uh, into that type of yeah, environment? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's bizarre. But, it, but, it, but what it does is it illustrates the bizarre clash in worldview between, between yeah. because it, this, this kind of libertarian notion that unions should do work for the employees, but they shouldn't be compensated for that. They shouldn't be reimbursed for that. Well, it, you know, it's, it, it's nuts. And the thing that drives me nuts, there are... There's two major newspapers in the city of Chicago. One actually, you know, labor has a has has part ownership of the Chicago Sun Times. But the other newspaper, the Chicago Tribune, wrote a, an editorial last week that said that people and they had to do with these right to work zones that we that our governor wants to have in Illinois that people shouldn't be forced to be members of a union. No one's forced to be members of a union. If you don't want to be in a union, the only obligation you have to you have in Illinois is to pay for that representation piece, which is not union dues. It's not equal to union dues. And you know, you, you, you don't, we don't send you a union hat or buttons or things like right. that. We just get, we have to negotiate a contract. If you file a grievance, we have to represent you. And guess what? If we don't do those things, we get, we get in big trouble. Yeah, so you, we have to do it. Right. You we go to jail. To Federal it. law says that your you union to. must represent everybody, even if they're not a union member. But they, fra they, they frame it as compulsory union membership. And now it's got, we let them drift the message so much that it, that's what it is. They're saying, you're right, right to work. You're, now you're no longer forced to be an, a member of union. You never were. Right. Okay. Uh, Ed? Uh, I would agree with everything that Bob said about, uh, about right to work and that it's being framed as... Um, solving a problem that no longer exists. Um, there were a couple of Supreme Court cases that dealt with, um, you know, in, in past decades, 
people were, were required to be union members. And if they didn't want to be, there was a Supreme Court case that said you no longer have to be. Later, it was supporting political causes that they didn't agree with. And um, the Supreme Court again said, you know, you can pay a fair share for the cost of your representation. Um, and so those are, the, those are the costs that people pay for. And union membership has a value. That's one of the things that um, the Chicago Tribune and others who rail against unions and uh, support right to work forget. In 2016, the U.S. Department of Labor Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that nationwide union members employed in the construction industry earned 47% more than non-union construction workers. So this representation has a value. Um, we provide a service. We're very proud of the service that we provide. Um, we work very hard for our members, all union um, you know, employees, union members. We work uh, very hard. We take pride in what we do. And for them to say, okay, uh, we're going to pass a law that says that you can uh, be criminally charged if you seek compensation for that is outrageous. Um, our response, and frankly, our challenge to the Chicago Tribune after this editorial last week was, tell you what, why don't we propose a law called right to read? You're providing information. I have the right to have information. So what if we cancel our subscriptions and we have a federal law that says you still have to send us the same newspaper every day and if you don't you know then then we can sue you and you'll be held criminally liable oh that's the most ridiculous thing that i've ever heard well th what's the difference there is no difference it's just because um you know they 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 paint it as uh, big bag unions coming to try to take money but that's not the case at all you know we we take pride again in the service that we provide um, to our members. You know, we work hard to advance um, advance their interests in the workplace. And one of the things that we've got to do a better job of nationally as organized labor is to remind people of what it is exactly that we do. Because so many people, uh, especially younger people today who are coming out of college saddled with, you know, tens of thousands um, or more in, in debt, they these things speak to them. You know, we... We, um, we fight for wage equality among uh, gender, among race, um, you know, on-the-job training. We provide career opportunities that, uh, that don't come with massive, you know, burdens of debt that people are, are stuck trying to cover for, for the, you know, the rest of their working lives. But, um, you know, these, these right-to-work laws are, um, you know, they're just uh, another way to, to they're, they're frankly the most well-named scam, uh, you know, against workers. Because if you ask somebody talking about what it, what right to work means it's a little bit complicated uh, there's a little bit to it but if you ask somebody on the street what do you think of right to work it sounds good to me you know it's very well named it's something that everybody can support uh, this is it was, it was frank it lundstead uh, you know before frank luntz i mean they came up with this and harry truman this is the tom hartman program And on the back side of this break, we'll hear from Ryan Kelly with the Machinist Local 126 in District 8 on this topic. Stick around. Welcome back. We're talking about right to work and unionization and all that stuff. We're in Chicago. Hello again. And, and uh, with uh, Ed Maher, the political director of Operating Engineers Local 150, with Bob Ryder, the secretary treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor, and Ryan Kelly with Machinist Local 126 in District 8. And Ryan, your thoughts on right to work for less. Well, Tom, it's nice to be on the show today. Um, firstly, Bob, I got to point out the, uh, the hypocrisy of what right to work really looks like from, say, me, a young worker. I mean, 
they disguise it as the legislation is a violation of the free speech, the First Amendment, but enacting it actually removes your voice on a workplace. So when you look at that, and when you participate in a union, that is like the ultimate democracy you can have on a workplace. You have a system that allows you to have a voice and lobby for working conditions, uh, many things like that. And when right to work goes into place, you support it with the, ideolo the ideologies that you're gonna protect your free speech, but you're actually stripping it away from yourself. And it's really unbelievable when you look at it. Um, you know, I think a lot of younger workers are looking at things like uh, the lack of opportunity that's out there. I myself, when I got out in the workforce, uh, was faced with a pretty, uh, it, it wasn't great. Um, it, wasn't, it, it, did, it wasn't as bad as it got in like 2008, 2009. But, you know, I look at these workers and, and, and these younger people, people younger than myself, who really look like they're set up to fail. And often the only thing they do have and the only opportunity they have is a union. Um, to the figure you pointed out earlier, Ed, is it's, I, my friends that are in unions, uh, especially in this town, are doing much better than a lot of my friends that uh, went through the education system, who were told to go through the education system, um, who were not made aware of the opportunities that are in unions, which themselves are the, one of the top privately funded education systems out there. I mean, we grow people, we educate them, and then we pay them while they're learning. I mean, look at younger workers from another perspective. A lot of them being called uh, snowflakes, different profanities, lack of work interest, they don't have any drive. Well, how many people out there go to education, go through the education system as they do, and they come out and burdened with debt, and then they end up with, uh, you know, basically no job opportunities. Meanwhile, the unions, we're, we're looking for people. We're trying to get people. Um, and, and with our arms wide open to give them something and give them some workplace democracy, and it's just not there. And this type of legislation attacks that. And it's just really unfortunate because we know it's a shell game. We know it's, it's a lie, and it preys on, you know, the First Amendment, and it preys on, you know, different things up front. But we all know the reality is that, much like Bob said, you know, it's just a, it. We have a duty, a federal duty, to represent people in a collective bargaining unit, and right to work basically sets us all up to fail when it comes down to that point. Yeah, right to work for less. Absolutely, <laughs> Bob. You wanted to add yeah. something to that. I mean, Ryan just pointed out how you know these right to work laws undermine collective action because they take away your ability to work with other people by by saying that you have to represent people that aren't even in the unit. So I've got an idea, and maybe this will get me in trouble with Tafari because I've got a national AFL-CIO officer here, and I'm about to throw out a national policy. Let's get rid of all the rules. I was telling Tom this earlier today. Let's go pre-Wagner Act. Let's get, rid of, you know, let's get rid of all the antitrust stuff. Let's get rid of the Wagner Act. Let's go back to where, the way it was in the 1880s. I like my chances back then when I could be out on the street organizing with people. I don't have to worry about certifications and elections. And guess what? They can have it. I don't have all the rules that protect me under the Wagner Act either. Let's go back to ground zero and let's just fight it out in the streets. Give me the ability to do that. I'm ready to go. Did you just become a Republican? <laughs> <laughs>
No, no seriously. I, I mean, I, that, that seems crazy to me. No offense, but yeah. It's, well, it, it, here's why. Why would that be a good thing for workers no longer to have the right to unionize? No, no, no. You still have the right to work. You still have the right to unionize. But your employer doesn't have to recognize it. Right. You. But you know what we did in the 1880s? And I know I, there's a lot of people. Like in I here. shot up in Ludlow. Well, yeah. But you know. But you know what? We were we were successful. We were successful because we were we were hunkered down. They've it, what's happened, and we you know you talk about Taft Hartley, which is a law that was superimposed over um, the Na- the Wagner Act right, in nineteen forty seven, and and Harry Truman vetoed it twice. It was the decline of the National Labor Relations Act started with the Taft Hartley Act, and then they passed because because some guys got in trouble in the nineteen fifties. They passed the the Labor Management Relations Act and the Labor Management. Uh, reporting and Disclosure Act, you know, they, they took a workers' rights statute and they started stripping it down and started putting all these other regulations on top of it in order in order to defund and depower the collective voice of workers. So in my opinion, if I didn't have to, if I didn't spend half my day, you know, as a union organizer or a union representative worried about paperwork and representing people that don't actually contribute to the cause... What is any of it worth? I'd rather be hmm. out in the street as an organizer, handing handing handbills, you know, making sure that my voice was the loudest one. And you know, so if the lawyer- let, let me get this right, Bob, because we're we're hitting a break here in a minute or so. Um, are you saying that the the, the Taft Hartley Law, nineteen forty seven, the, the established right to work, allows states to opt yeah. out? That that and subsequent legislation have so corrupted the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Act, that it's become less than useful. That's your argument? Tom, let me... Okay, uh, I, Bob, we're going to have to pick this up on okay. the other side. We'll be right back. Okay. Program. This is getting interesting. More from Chicago in just a second. It's of the Operating Engineers 150. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, this program... Uh, from Chicago, uh, underwritten in part by Painters District Council 14, IBEW Local 134, Operating Engineers Local 399, Operating Engineers Local 150, uh, UAW Region 4, and Goldberg Weissman Cairo. And we're very grateful to all of them for making this all possible. And okay, so we were, t- Bob, you were, uh, Bob Ryder, uh, Secretary Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor, was saying maybe it wouldn't be so terrible. If we simply went back before the Wagner Act, if we simply just blew up all these labor laws and just threw it into a libertarian free marketplace, essentially, is am I am I paraphrasing you very quickly? Because I want to get to, to Ed here. The, the, I'll try to qualify the, it now, Bob. <laughs> no, no, no I, I just want to. I'm giving you a chance to walk back from no, your no, no, Rand Paul I'm not, I'm position. Not walk, I'm not walking back, but I do want to be clear. I want to blow up all the rules as it pertains to the Wagner Act. You know, I think we should probably stick with. Uh, child labor and the minimum wage and all that, but as it pertains to union organizing and everything else, the rules have gotten so stacked up against us, and now that the, the Obama board is going to get rolled back get you know rolled back into the Trump labor board, screw it. Let's go back to ground zero. Let's blow up, let's blow up the Wagner Act. Let me do all the things I need to do with the handcuffs off, and let me go out and organize the way I need to organize. Very interesting. So, Ed... Ed, Ed Maher, the political director of Operating Engineers Local 150, you, you said after, during the break, you said, well, that's not crazy. Well, I don't often say this, but not everything that Bob just said is completely crazy. Um, but uh, so, you know, there, there's, a, there's a case going, um, moving up that's going to be heard before the Supreme Court this session called Janus versus AFSCME. And it's, uh, it's often um, cited as the, uh, the coming right to work for the entire public sector nationwide. And essentially what it's centered on is making 
the right not to associate with the union, um, you know, elevating that to free speech right. Um, and this is the, you know, the right to work committee and Governor Rauner uh, in Illinois here has been big pushing that uh, case. He used to be a named plaintiff until he lost standing. Um, but if, if they are successful, as many suggest that they will be, um, if they're successful in elevating that to a free speech um, level, what does that do on the flip side of the coin that perhaps they're not thinking about? Um, that elevates uh, collective bargaining to a free speech level, and it elevates um, a union's ability to not choose to associate with people who um, don't pay union dues to a free speech level. So um, if you've got something in Wisconsin like Act 10 that says you can negotiate about this, but you can only negotiate about wage increases up to 2%, or you can't negotiate about health care costs, you know, things that completely are designed to hamstring public employees or private employees, um, those regulations are now a violation of free speech. You know, I, I, I would contend, and I, you know, I'm no labor lawyer, and there are several people in this room who would attest to that, but... Um, <laughs> But it, I think this opens His up. His boss included. I think, yeah, yeah. Just wanted to get that out there. But there, um, there are going to be some unintended consequences, I believe, to uh, to this Janus case. And in some cases, you might have, um, you know, federal government employees who've had limitations on what they can bargain collectively over. Um, who now all of a sudden will have uh, free speech rights. They might not, their employers might not be compelled to bargain, but they will have the ability how to walk you, out. How do you know? Potentially. Yeah, well, that's the, the, you know, this is the, you know, whenever you walk into the Supreme Court with, with a five, not just conservative, five right-wing whack job majority, um, how do you know that they're not going to come up with a decision that says, yeah, we decide that this is free speech, public employee unions are, are not entitled to unionization or whatever, and we're not extending that right to anybody else. We're not extending that right. To, I mean, you know, can they come up with a decision that just basically sticks it to everybody? I can't say I'd be you know, terribly surprised if something like that did happen. Uh, but looking at, looking at the theories that they're trying to advance to pass their argument, um, this is one of the things that, you know, one of the things that we've been looking at is, uh, is unintended consequences. And, um, you know, so we'll have to see. I think they're, uh, they're going to be putting briefs into the Supreme Court um, in the next couple of weeks, next two weeks, something like that. So we'll have a better idea of what, uh, what the plaintiff's argument is. But, um, you know, I think that in, in the case where labor's epitaph's been written a hundred times and people are very quick to, dis to say that this Janus case is right to work, the beginning of the death knell of labor, another death knell of labor. But, um, you know, if, if they're taking a swing, we've got to be in a place to counterpunch because if this death by a thousand cuts of right to work and uh, paycheck protection and these little things that go on every day at the National Labor Relations Board that erode workers' rights a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here, it's death by a thousand cuts. So if we don't do something, workers and the middle class are not going to get stronger. We're only going to get weaker. So um, all I could say, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, is we should take up the fight right now while we're at our strongest, while we've got resources to do it. Um, you know, if, uh, if labor is going to go down, it'd be better to go down swinging with an empty bank account than it would be to sit on our reserves until there's nothing left that we can do about it. Absolutely. Well, that sounds very Absolutely. noble and kind of Mel Gibson-ish. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, Tom, here in Chicago... You know, Scotland forever. <laughs> freedom. <laughs> freedom. We have strong unions here in Chicago that will will do things that are creative that are unusual. You know, we talked this morning about how we've got 40% of the ownership of the Chicago Sun-Times are different labor unions around town. Ed's union, um, which is one of the owners of the newspaper, is not shy about taking interesting legal paths to challenge, challenge the status quo. 
And what, and what one thing that they do very well is they exploit the absurdity. And they'll, you know, get to a point, and, and maybe this is one of those instances, well, they'll, well, we may get the wrong decision, but it'll be blatant that it was wrong, and it'll be blatant that it's partisan because we'll, we start building that box. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just warning you. It's happened before. In 1886, in the Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad case, nope. Delphin Delmas was arguing that, and he said, you want to give corporations the rights of persons? What? Do you want them to engage in matrimony? Do you want them to have funerals? Do you, you know, what about their... You know, he went through this whole long list. The court just ignored it. No, but, I, but and I'm agreeing with you. We may get to a point where... Uh, local 150 or another union will will take this path and they'll basically come up with a decision that's absurd and says yeah the rules are different over here just because we say so but at least then we have an opportunity to roll that out to everybody and go guess what donald trump's right this court is super partisan it doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean but it, they're the ones doing it now right they're, they're the ones themselves doing it. in the foot very exactly. interesting and it's, um, some, it's something interesting you can Brian, see on Brian that Hill. with bob that uh you have um, I, I'm guilty of saying this, but, you know, unfortunately it could get a little worse before it gets better, but the pendulum swings both ways, folks. And I don't think it can go much further in the direction it's heading before it drastically swings back the other way. And you see this in like, you just look at the last hundred year history of this country, um, to Ed's point on the public sector unions. I mean, I came, I, my, my local, my home local, local 126 through district eight, is uh, largely public sector workers. I myself was one, a proud civil servant. And you look at what right to work does and, and the fact that you're gonna take away the bargaining ability of public sector workers. So you're gonna take that away. You're gonna take the value of the union away. The union eventually disappears. Well, you know what happens? One of the biggest values in having a union in the public sector is to protect the, the frontline workers that are there. What used to happen was you'd get a new elected official, he'd wipe everybody out of there, and he'd bring in a bunch of new people. And now they have to learn how it works. Uh, they have to learn how everything works, how to run, a, say, a county or a city or a small municipality, a town, township, whatever, whatever you may. And you can't learn on the job with public service work. You can't because you're dealing with emergencies. You're dealing with snowstorms. You're dealing with floods. You're dealing with all this stuff. So the public sector unions with just say senior, having seniority, having a, a layoff protocol, that in itself keeps a revolving door of people. Because I can tell you this, it's often the public sector uh, employees, whether it's out of my union or 150 or local nine or local 130 or 134, it's our historical knowledge that when the emergencies really happen, we're the ones being asked the questions on what do we do right now? What works? And we get it done. Yeah. Do you think, Ryan, that the, uh, you know, that the principal impetus, the, the principal impulse on the part of Republicans since, since the 30s to fight unionization is, and particularly since the 80s, has been because unions are the principal funders or historically have been a principal funder, at least in the 20 and 21st century of the Democratic Party, and so they're just trying to starve the beast, as it were, or that Republicans basically don't respect labor. They, they're basically anti-worker, pro-company owner. 
I personally think, I mean, personally, the, the Republican Party, I feel, is not the Republican Party of, of lore and the one it used to be. Uh, it certainly has been. It's a rent party. Yeah. You know, it, any billionaire, any, any uh, corporation that wants to hire it, Republicans. And, and that's unfortunate for them. I mean, because they've, they've kind of certainly lost their way. But I mean, I think right now the pro-business agenda is trying to extinguish any sort of embers that remain because... Uh, well, Bob, example, like he, he spoke at an event of ours last week and he pointed out something that really struck me was we are less than, we are what, 10, 11% of the workforce total. And over half of that is public sector workers. So if we're such a, like a relevant sect within the workforce, 10%, what makes us so scary? Why are we, you know, why are we under attack like that? Why are we like front page news? 10% of the workforce. Because we're funding Democrats. Right. Well, is it Democrats? And we're or, providing or, shoe leather for Democrats. Or, or are, we, you know, are we funding people, sometimes Republicans, who are, who are labor well, friendly? Well, we're funding people on our side, Correct. but the Republican Party Correct. is definitely not. I, we, we, we're hitting a break here. Yep. We'll come back with more on this. This is a fascinating topic, this whole right to work for less. And I would like to lobby the labor movement. You know, every time somebody says death tax... It, it's a lie and it imprints. Right to work is the Tom same. Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I think we need to recapture our language. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom, that's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M as the promo code for your $100 discount. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back from Chicago. We're at the Operating Engineers 150 Capri Banquets in Chicago and uh, sponsored by WCPT and Painters District Council 14, IBEW Local 134, Operating Engineers Local 399, Operating Engineers Local 150, UAW Region 4, and Goldberg Weissman Cairo. And uh, apropos of that, Lewis Cairo is here with Goldman, Goldberg Weissman Cairo. Thank Lewis, you. welcome. Well, thank you. Glad to have you with us. And Mark O'Donnell is here. He's with the uh, Financial Secretary Treasurer. Is that, okay, with the Sign Painters Local 8, 830. Thank you, And Tom. great to have you with us, Mark. Um, 
And, and of course, uh, uh, Bob Ryder is still with us, the Secretary Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Um, the CTA campaign, this is the, the Chicago Transit Authority, I'm assuming. The, or, yes. Yeah, if, if I'm remembering my ac- acronyms right. What is, what is the situation with this? Who is, who is most directly involved with this? It's, it's, it's you, Mark? Yes. Okay. You, you want to tell us the story here? What's going on? And, and you know, what, both the local story and how this may also be, uh, you know, on one end of the spectrum, just a good lesson to learn for people all around the country. On the other end of the spectrum, perhaps actual tools to fight back when this comes to a community near you or whatever. So tell us the story. Okay, we got wind a while back that this company called Intersection, who are headquartered in New York, uh, was doing work for the CTA, Chicago Transit Authority, uh, installing transit signs and graphics. And... uh, so they put the signs on the buses and things? Is yes, that, yeah. yes. Um, but so do the, uh, the painters. And so our argument was, well, you're taking work that we've agreed to within a collective bargaining agreement. And uh, we first we reached out to the CTA, and uh, it really didn't go anywhere. And then we started our campaign uh, against uh, the CTA and Intersection to notify the public of our uh, displeasure of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And what happened? We did have an initial meeting with the CTA, and uh, we were told by the individual that had met with us that uh, we made a good argument, but uh, they had to deny our claim. So let me get this straight. If I, if I understand what you're saying, you've got the government agency, the Chicago Transit Authority, they run the buses and trains and whatnot. And they have a contract with your union, the Painters Union. Yes. Painters, uh, what, uh, 830. And that contract says that you're, you're the guys who put the signs on the buses and trains and whatnot. And they're, and they're saying, nah, we're not going to. What are they? Are they going to, to non-union labor or are they doing it themselves? I mean, what's, what's going on? It's a combination of both, but it's primarily intersection. It's primarily what? The company called Intersection. Oh, a company called Intersection. Yes. Okay. They're a national company. They're union in four other markets around the country. Mm-hmm. So we don't see any reason why they can't do it here. So it's um, unionized in other places, but not here in Chicago? Correct. Whoa. And so all you're saying to the, to the CTA is honor your contract, honor your agreement. Yes, that's part of it. We've also been meeting with the uh, workers of Intersection, and they've showed a sh- strong interest in uh, unionizing themselves. We've taken a different approach to this. We've targeted the CTA, intersection uh, management, and spoke, spoke to the men as well about becoming... So, so, the, so oh, this is great. So the pushback that you're doing, um, in addition to you know, actually just fighting for the contract that you have, the pushback that you're doing is you're going to try and unionize both the Chicago Transit Authority and this company that is stealing your business? Well, well maybe stealing is the wrong word. but No, it's know. not. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Lewis. I mean, come on. It's WCPT, for God's sake. Okay. <laughs> there you go. It's a two-pronged approach. We're saying it's a violation of the contract with the painters while we're still doing this. Right. We have an arbitration coming forward. Uh, from what I understand, we're just uh, an arbitrator has been selected. We're just waiting for some dates. Right. So we're taking whatever angles we can to help the situation. Right. Remarkable. Louis, uh, Louis Cairo. Yeah. Your, your well, th- let me add a couple of things in addition to what Mark said. The, the way I look at this, I mean, I look at the CTA kind of like a general contractor. 
Uh, they've got a PLA agreement with the painters. They say we're going to do it's PLA. It's a, pro a project a labor agreement. So they say we're going to do all of our work, uh, all of our construction work, everything, anything CTA does. They've got viaducts, bridges, whatever work they're doing. They're going to honor the, the project labor agreement. They're going to use organized labor. They're in the city of Chicago. Shouldn't be using anything else other than organized labor. That's just a no-brainer. They then hire what I say is tantamount to a subcontractor. They hire a company called Intersection. Intersection does the wraps. So if we have a general contract. Wraps is the painting on the buses. Right. When you see the buses, you see uh, uh, the L trains go by, you see regular trains, and it's a beautiful colored portrait of some advertiser's uh, campaign. That's They're wrapping these buses, and they do this unbeknownst to, to me, because we can get to that in a minute, how I didn't realize that they were doing it with non-union labor. So that, the deal is, is they're CTA say, we're a union company, we do everything union, and then they hire a subcontractor, Intersection, says, go paint my buses and do it with scabs. That's where the fight comes in, because what's the point of having a, an agreement with, with a, a manufacturer, a, a municipal corporation like the CTA, or a uh, general contractor, and then they circumvent that obligation by hiring a non-union company, which is what they've done. That's why, like Mark's saying, our two-prong appro two approach is we're going after the CTA, honor your agreement, they're going after the intersection saying, hey, you should be union. You're in seven, you're in nine markets around the country. Well, in fact, if, if intersection uh, organized with, with the painters local, then they could collaborate with you and, uh, or am I? It would be a moot point. If, if yeah. intersection signed the contract, then you're good, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but intersection doesn't want to sign, want to sign the contract because they say they're, they're paying fair wages which is what they consider their fair wage, which doesn't include the union benefits. They don't want to pay the additional monies. Yeah. So to what extent is this meta to other kinds of debates and arguments that are going on in Chicago? Bob, Bob Ryder, um, and in Illinois in general, where, where I mean, this seems like, you know, this whole subcontractor th scam, it seems like just another, you know, one more, uh, what? Uh, it's just the typical. Death of a thousand paper cuts yeah, kind of yeah. thing. You know? It's a typical. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we do a good job of fighting back. I know Mark has reached out for support for a variety of people in the labor movement. Um, you know, I, we have, you know, what's interesting is that there's all these Facebook groups that have, um, that have popped up, that have popped up over the course of the last couple of years. Um, I know some of Mark's brothers in the Painters Union are very involved with one that we have called Right to Work is Wrong, Illinois. And Ryan Kelly, who was up here earlier, has a, has a Facebook page called the Chicago Labor Works. And we're able to use those things so when a guy like Mark's got a problem out on the street, we can start getting people to pay attention to it. You know, the CFL a number of years ago started this camp. You know, if you've ever seen them, because the signs are now, we have this, we created this uh, logo called Proud Union Home. And uh, we have those signs. Yeah, thanks. We have these signs up all over all over Chicago in front of people's houses. It was during a it was during the 2012 election. This isn't for a candidate. This is about identifying who you are. So that way, put this sign next to whoever candidate you're supporting. Sign so that when people walk up to your house or knock on the door or your neighbors, just generally know that you're a part of the labor movement. And it's outlived that. Political seems season. like it's a great way to keep Republicans from knocking on your door and bothering your dinner. <laughs> you know what? You would think so, but I actually had one knock on my door. Um, they're selling. I, they're selling a lot more eggs at the grocery store, though, for the Republicans. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, oh, can I tell you? Part of the part, yeah, part of what we are able to do with these signs in terms of getting them out to people. It, 
there's a lot more demand in some of these Republican areas because the Republicans go nuts and they pull the signs out of people's yards. And the people that have the signs in the yards, they just put another one in there. So they're constantly replacing. <laughs> yep, yep. So in their face. So how, how are how are the uh, organizing... Uh, uh, whoop, Lewis, we're, hit, we're, we're hitting the break here. Uh, we'll come back and talk about, you know, how... How, how everything is going with this right after this. Um, Louis Cairo, Mark O'Donnell, Bob Ryder, um, and me from Chicago here with WCPT at the Operating Engineers 150 Capri Banquets. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. back. Tom Hartman here with you at the uh, Capri Banquets Operating Engineers 150 uh, event in Chicago put on by WCPT and a whole group of great organizations that are sponsoring this. The Painters District Council 14, IBEW Local 134, Operating Engineers Local 399, Operating Engineers Local 150, UAW Region 4, and Goldberg Weissman Cairo. And of Goldberg Weissman Cairo, which is uh, a personal injury law firm here in, in Chicago, one of the, the biggest? One of the biggest? We are. You are the biggest. You have a story to tell, Louis Cairo. I do. Tell us that. And this is this is just a marvelous story. This is this is like you two could do this, or or maybe not. But I mean, you you two could advocate this or lobby for this or whatever. Go ahead. Well, I think this is the reason why Melissa Rizzi invited me to be on the show, and it kind of dovetails with your question at the end of the last uh, segment with uh, Bob. Like, what's happening? What's what is, are the unions doing with respect to this problem? Um, and in that regard, I had heard about this whole situation with Intersection and the CTA because I was speaking at one of the painters' um, union meetings, uh, the Todd Overdorf's meeting in, Great, in Lake Zurich. And Todd and I were just talking for a couple of minutes before the meeting, and I said, what's been going on? And he said, oh, my God, we're going crazy. We got this, this big picket going on. or Not a picket. It's this friendly bannering thing. And I said, what's it about? And he's like, wow, the CTA with their buses, this company Intersection. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> I, I, my original contract got $500,000 contract with Intersection. We have 100 buses wrapped with my face. So your company is a big advertiser. My company, we have a very large advertising budget. And when I was talking to Todd, I'm like, well, my face is all over these buses. What's, this, what's the problem? Because I, I, I would assume, like everybody assumes, it's a CTA. They're all union. Why would they be using a subcontractor, Intersection? That's not union. It doesn't make sense. So Todd explained it to me. And then he goes, listen, I got to go. The meeting starts in three seconds. I'll call you and get, come get you in 10 minutes. So 10 minutes later, Todd walks, comes out. He goes, come on, you're up, Lewis. Address the membership. I introduced myself as the son of a, of a, a union carpenter who became a union subcontractor, who became a union general contractor. I'm mean, 59 years old. When I was a baby, my dad was in the union. He started his own union company, and he did it because it was what he believed in. I mean, what, he was a contractor who wanted to be a union. Nobody picketed him. Nobody bothered him. He wanted to be in the union because this is the way you create the middle class, and this is how you have a good good livelihood. This is how put you through college and law school this way, and that's what my upbringing was. That's what I was taught. So I walk in the union meeting, introduce myself, and I go, I have to tell you, I just sent a text message or an email to my, um, my agent over at Intersection, and everyone's eyes open up, because it's like they know the problem that they're having with Intersection right now. And I read it, and it's a long, long email, went on Facebook, and it's all about my upbringing, what's important to me, and that I cannot affiliate with a company who is going to hire scab painters to wrap buses with my law firm and my face and my son and my daughter who are lawyers that work for me. And uh, thank you. I mean, I'm not wrapping my face with my children on your bus if you're using scab labor. So 
consider my contract effective immediately, canceled. Now, I have a six-month kickout clause by contract, so I have to keep paying for six months. So the next day, ironically, I get a phone call from, uh, I believe his name is Craig Goldsmith, the president of Intersection. And he's on his way in his private jet somewhere when he calls me, you know. And he's like, Lewis, you know, this is Craig. I mean, I just want to let you know. And he was a very nice guy. He said, you know, I'm a lawyer, but I've owned this company for seven years. And, you know, I just hate when your clients call you up and they bug you to do something that you didn't want to do. And they interject you in their own fight. And I want to apologize. I go, what the hell are you talking about? Well, I, I know the painters, they probably, I know you do business with them, they probably called you and pressured you that you've got to do this. I, whoa, 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 I said, hang on a second. Nobody told Luke Hyer what to do. I didn't get a phone call from the painters. I love the painters, they're friends of mine. I know they have a dispute. They've never asked me. They've never pressured me. They've never suggested to me to do anything. What I did is how I was brought up by my Italian father. I did the right thing because that's what I believe in my heart. I said, if it wasn't for the unions, if it wasn't for the business my firm has generated to be the largest firm because of union clients that we represent, I couldn't afford my bus ad. I couldn't afford to pay the money. I said, this is a great opportunity for us to get our name out there. It's branding. It's goodwill. It makes us look good. I get to show the world how beautiful my son and my daughter are and a couple other lawyers that work for us. Um, but... You know, that means nothing to me compared to doing the right thing, because that's where my morals, that's where my heart is. So um, he goes, are you still, so you're telling me you're really going to cancel? I go, uh, yeah, did you read the email? Yeah, I read the email, but I thought I could convince you otherwise. I go, you can convince me otherwise? Absolutely. When you sign a contract with the painters and you do the right thing. He said, but Lewis, we, we are paying fair wages. I go, you're paying fair wages? Like $14, $15 an hour? A guy works 2,000 hours a year, he makes $30,000? What continent do you live on that that's fair ways you could support a family and you live in the city of Chicago? I mean, be real. They can't. How do you put your kids to school? How do you save money for your retirement? These people that you're paying scab wages, they don't get retirement, they don't get health and welfare benefits, they have no security whatsoever, they have nobody to, to negotiate for them, to bargain for them if they have a grievance. It's like, that's like involuntary servitude. And you're holding their little $15 an hour or 14 an hour over their head, and that's what you're giving them? No, that's what the painters union is for. And you do the right thing, Craig, and I will, I'll buy more buses. But until then, I want zero buses. And as we see here today, as Mark told you, they still don't have an agreement, and I have zero buses that I'm going to pay for once my contract expires, my, 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 my six-month kick out. During that six months, have you thought about changing the, the posters on the buses? To, <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if the painter, Wait, if we're hitting a break here. I if, gotta, if the painters want to pay for it, because it costs me a grand every time I change the ah, wrap. <laughs> okay, there's your collusion. Right? <laughs> we just have, have 25 seconds left here, so I, I just want to wrap this up. Mark O'Donnell with the painters. Thank you so much for being with us, Mark. Thank you wanted you to say something? Yes, uh, I'd just like to circle back a second for the intersection rally uh, situation here. Um, we do have overwhelming support from the. Uh, employees there to go union. The company has yet to recognize us. Uh-huh. Uh, they did send in a couple uh, figureheads in from their. That'd be great. Office. Well, I'm, I got music in my hair. I got a, I got a boogie here. Louis Cairo from from uh, Goldberg Weissman Cairo. Thank you, Louis. Thank you. Great job, Bob. Uh, Bob Ryder, Secretary Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor. All the great folks at WCPT, all the sponsors, all the groups. Thank you so much for being and everybody, all of you who are here. It's so great to see you all. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 